God, we choose today to just acknowledge that we need you, acknowledge that you're with us, acknowledge that you hear us, and that you went to the cross and bore the most terrible suffering, God, to give us victory over death, over hell, over this life and the shame and struggles. God, we have life in you, and it's life eternal. Thank you, Jesus. So, God, I just pray you'd open our hearts to hear from you today and that you would just bless this time, move in this place. In Jesus' name. In his book, Tortured for Christ, he describes that and many other things that, <clears throat> that he faced as a result of his faith. And uh, this is just a small, also, sample of what will be coming next year, an actual complete movie of of his life and what he faced and all the things that he had to deal with. You know, when you think about persecution, and this morning as we think about those who are being persecuted, I wanted to take just a few minutes and talk with you about about the three different ways that you can suffer persecution. And some of these that I described to you today may seem obvious, but I think they're worth asking and sharing because the the scriptures make it really clear. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, those who try to live a godly life because they believe in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You probably didn't hear that when you first heard the gospel message. We'll be persecuted. So there are three different ways that you and I can suffer persecution. The first way is to suffer persecution for not doing right. For not doing right. Paul makes the following statement. When he talks about persecution, he says, Don't let any of you suffer, verse 15 of 1 Peter 4, as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. Don't suffer for those things. So there's a way of suffering persecution for doing what is not right. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to suffer consequences if you don't do the right thing. But don't mistake that as being persecution because of your faith. I have, over the years, spoken with a lot of people who feel they're being persecuted. And when you strip it all down, they're suffering the consequences of what they've sown. They're suffering persecution and trouble and trial because of decisions they made, because of bad choices they made, because they they didn't follow the Lord, and yet somehow, really somehow, there's this weird thing that goes on in the minds of some people who feel like 
somehow I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian, when in reality, you're suffering because of your own choices, your own life, your own decisions. So there's persecution and suffering that comes from not doing right. And Paul makes it really clear. He says, you know, none of you want to suffer because of that. Those are just the natural consequences of sowing to the flesh and reaping the results thereof. Then there's a second group. There's a second group. You and I can sometimes suffer persecution because we are right, but for the wrong reasons. We can suffer persecution because we are right. We're so right, everybody knows we're right. And we're paying a price for it because people can't stand the arrogance and the judgmentalism and the self-righteousness and the attitude of, I'm better than you, so you're suffering for doing right, for being right, but for the wrong reason. In fact, when I look at our lives in this country, in the United States of America, I see a lot of people suffering persecution because they are right. But they're judgmental. They're arrogant. They don't understand... They don't understand the world in which God has placed them, nor how to live as Christ would live in their environment. In this world. In fact, Jesus himself said, judge not lest you be judged. So there's a lot of people that are getting judged because they're judgmental. They're right. They're right. But the persecution they're suffering is not for the right reason. They're suffering persecution because they've placed themselves in a position of being the judge and the jury over those around us. Wormbrand makes it really clear. He said, I hate the sinner. I hate the sin, but never the sinner. Never the sinner. So you can suffer persecution because you not only hate the sin, but you hate the sinner. And you'll pay a price. But you can't blame Jesus for that. And you can't blame God for that. And you can't go into this cocoon of feeling sorry because you're suffering because of it. Because it's not, it's not a result of your relationship with God. It's not a result of God in you. It's a result of being right. Now, how many times, how many times, how many times if you don't suffer for doing the wrong thing, how many times have you suffered because you're right and you know you're right and because you know you're right, you're so right, everybody else feels that they are so wrong that they really don't have any desire to hang out with you or anything like that. In our society, there's a lot of that. A lot of that. 
I'm not condoning sin. I'm not. And even in the workplace and even out in the society where you and I live, people know the difference. They really do. Or you can suffer, as we're going to look at more today, you can suffer because you are righteous. And it is the God of righteousness that is an offense to those who are persecuting you. In other words, the the threat of Jesus was that he was the king and the Christians would serve allegiance to their king. That was a threat to Rome. It's a threat to societies all over the place these days. It's a serious threat. Why do you think you cannot worship Jesus Christ in places in this world? It's because Jesus is a threat. His kingdom, his kingship, his lordship over the lives of people is a threat. And it is that threat to which they respond. When Peter was writing in chapter 4, in verse 12, he says to the believers, do not be surprised, in verse 12, at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. You know who the emperor was? a really bad, bad dude by the name of Nero. Nero killed uh, his wife, second wife, they think, as well. Anybody who was a threat to him stopped breathing for some reason. And he had this, he had this serious problem with Christians because they did not give their allegiance to the emperor. And so he would gather the Christians up and he'd put them in the middle of the Acropolis, you know, and there in the middle of the Acropolis he would, he would let the lions loose on them as they were sitting there in the middle of the Acropolis and just watch as they were torn to shreds. But he did worse than that. He did worse than that. He used to have parties and he would line his parties with special made candles. Christians that were dipped in wax. And they were tied to trees. And they were set on fire. Even to the point where the major roads that would come into Rome, he would put Christians to light the highway. Bad dude. Bad dude. So, when you read this and you see what Peter's talking, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. He knows exactly what he's talking about. They know exactly what he's talking about. He's not talking about some strange ordeal of trial. He's talking about this being set on fire, literally. And why? Why? Because... 
because of the one that you serve, the one you give your allegiance to. He says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Don't suffer for not doing the right thing. Don't suffer because you are right. There are even people who want to be martyred. They have this very twisted idea that somehow martyrdom is a sign of how good or righteous they are, but it's not. It's it's martyrdom that's chosen, martyrdom that's selected, martyrdom that's pursued is an absolute crock. It's one thing to be willing to die for Christ. It's another thing to go out looking for it so that you can somehow get a notch on your belt. Hey, I died for Jesus. That's that self-righteous part. Anyway, listen to what he says. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in, the, in that name, let him glorify God. Let him glorify God in that name. Remember when the disciples were preaching Jesus and they took him aside and they said, you've got you to knock that off. And they responded and they said, you know, sorry, we have to obey God, not men. You do whatever you got to do, we got to obey God. They didn't, they didn't set that standard, the standard was set for them. If you keep doing this, you're going to fall into trouble. And they said, well, then that's just the price we have to pay. But they weren't, they weren't somehow feeling like they were special or extra spiritual because of it. They were just in love with Jesus and walking with Jesus. He said in verse 17, It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us first... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, and he's not talking about salvation by works, he's talking about the, the fact that the process is, is challenging. It's very hard. He says, what about a godless man? Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Being right in a relationship with Jesus. See, if people at work persecute you because of your relationship with Jesus, because of your Lord Jesus, then you're suffering righteously. But if people are persecuting you because you are basically a jerk, a religious jerk, don't take credit for that. Don't. Why did they crucify Jesus? 
Why did they put the disciples to, through all kinds of stuff? Why are people being taken and slaughtered and put in prison these days? All over the world. Is, because, is it because they asked for it? The majority of the people that are in prison in places around this world where it's illegal to follow Christ, to change your religion, whatever, the reason the majority of them are there is because of their relationship with Christ. Their relationship with Christ. And the name that they bear, you know, they bear His name. Just like my kids bear my name and Ruth's name. We bear His name. That's our identity. Our identity. I want you to take a moment and consider the story of Susan. I want you to listen to Susan's story, and as you do, I want you to consider how Susan, as she was facing some real challenges, I want you to notice a couple of things about Susan. Susan was under authority. We are all under authority. Susan, as a result of being under authority, placed herself in a position where she was willing to face the consequences that came with being under that authority. You're going to see in her story, you're going to see that, that she was called upon to do something, or excuse me, she was called upon to stop doing something or she would have to face the consequences. She, like the disciples, continued to do it, knowing that she might face those consequences. You'll see that. Then secondly, you'll see that she was told to do something, and she was told that if she did not follow through with what she was told, it would be a denial of her Savior. Notice what she does. And as you do this morning, just want you to be thinking in two directions. One, ask yourself, am I prepared? Am I really ready to face that kind of challenge? And secondly, consider all those who are in the midst of that challenge right now, the ones that we want to pray for today. Watch. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hallowed be thy name at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess there's power in the name of Jesus take the third commandment for example you shall not use the Lord's name in vain for years I simply thought that meant not swearing or cursing using the Lord's name but I stumbled across a simple but incredible 
realisation. Because a more literal translation of that commandment actually reads, You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. You shall not use the name of Yahweh casually, complacently, without respect, without value. It's the moment in time I realise that I actually break this commandment all the time. And more often than not, I break it at church. How much value, how much worth do you place on the name of Jesus? As I thought through this, it reminded me of a girl called Susan from Uganda. She's 14 years old and from a strictly Islamic family. One day a visiting speaker came to her school. He spoke about this guy called Jesus who claimed he was a son of God and had come to save the world. And right there, Susan decided to give her life to Jesus. When she got home, her father found out and he was furious. In fact, on one occasion in broad daylight, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother and dragged them outside. He held a knife to their throat and said, Susan, if you do not stop going to church and worshipping God, I will kill you and your brother. But Susan didn't stop. Her father grabbed her. He took her to a room in their house and placed a mat on the floor. He told Susan to sit on that mat and do not move until you are willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Her father turned around, walked out of the room and locked the door. Susan's father didn't return to that room for three months. The only way Susan survived was that while her father was out, her brother would dig a hole under the door. He would pour water into it for Susan to lap up. On occasion, he would fry up some banana and slide that under the door to his sister. After about three months, the neighbours began to wonder where Susan was and they asked her brother. He told them and they immediately called the police. When they came, they opened the door and they found Susan. She was sitting on the mat. She was alive, but only just. You see, the bones in her legs had begun to grow and conform to the way she had been sitting. And she weighed 20 kilos. They grabbed her and rushed her to hospital where they began to rehabilitate her. When Susan was asked why she hadn't tried to escape, why she hadn't even left the mat, without missing a beat, she replied, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I would be denying Jesus. And I couldn't do that. Worthlessness. It never even seemed to cross her mind, did it? This is exactly what the third commandment is about. A faith driven by a passion for God that realises not only to be in relationship with Him, but to be able to call on His name is among the most sacred privileges we have as Christians. A privilege the world can't conceive and a privilege that we so often take for granted. You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. Susan wouldn't, do you?
Richard Wormbrand said that a man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the thing he is willing to die for. Why would Susan, why would Susan be willing to be obedient to her father, her earthly father, and stay on the mat? Because she couldn't deny. And her father said, if you leave, you'll be denying. So she didn't leave. Fourteen years old. I think most of us would probably think, well, come on, it doesn't make sense, you know. Get out of there. Find a way. Do something. Why do Susan and Wormbrand and all the others, why do they do that? Why are they willing... Why are they willing to face the ultimate price? And the answer is really very simple and very basic... They're willing to face the ultimate price because they're in love with the one who paid the ultimate price. Jesus paid it all. And they love Jesus. And their allegiance is to Jesus. It is that allegiance that causes them to face the kind of persecution they do. In fact, over and over again, you'll find people in these countries that we're going to pray for Give an opportunity. All you have to do is deny. All you have to do is say, no, I didn't mean it. You can go home. Free. I think it's fitting that we remember the one who paid the ultimate price so that we can also be reminded not only of our brothers and sisters around the world, but also reminded today of the most important relationship in our lives. And that's our relationship with Jesus. When you think about all the other things that we face, all the struggles and challenges that we have, they really, really don't, they don't amount to a whole bunch, do they? The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians. He describes the whole issue of communion. And whenever we have communion, we also have a love offering. And if any of you would like to have part in the love offering and you would like one of these envelopes, raise your hand and Tammy will make sure you get one. Uh, This is for the love offering, which will be part of the offering as a whole at the end of the service. You can just raise your hand while I'm reading the scriptures. She'll make sure you get one. Or if you put G, uh, love offering or whatever on your check, you can do that. But listen to, listen to Paul. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember when Jesus died, when they took him and they put him before Pilate and all the other things that he faced? Over and over again, the scriptures tell us that he didn't say a word. 
He didn't reply. He didn't defend himself. He could have called down legions of angels. He could have spoken and changed all of that which was happening, but he didn't. Why did he, do, why did he not do that? He did it primarily because of his relationship with the Father, secondarily because of his love for us. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, as we share in communion, they're going to pass the cup, and there's two cups that are in one. The bread's on the bottom cup and the juice on the top. So take both when you pull them out. And when we partake this morning together, I want you to remember the ultimate sacrifice that was made because you matter deeply to God. And as you do, I want you to also reflect on the fact that People all over the world today, not yesterday, not 40 years ago, today, people all over the world are suffering, imprisoned, being beaten and persecuted and dying because of Jesus and his incredible love. Think of what he's done for you. Think of what he's done for them. And let's be partners together for our brothers and sisters today. Worship as the cup is passed and the bread together. Sing this out. Think about him. You are good. You are good. When there's nothing good in me. You are love. You are love. On display for all to see. You are light, you are light, when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. You are peace, you are peace, you are peace, when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true. And in my wonder 